0: Okay, if you have a Bible with you, open up to 2 Timothy. Uh, If you don't have one, the Pew Bible in front of you will be on page 1056. As always, as we go through uh, the text this morning, if you have questions, uh, you can text them anonymously to our text number, and we will interact with those together at the end of the message this morning. Uh, We are in the middle of a series uh, kind of casting some vision for 2022. And we, we started at the beginning of the year talking about how this, this is just big idea that God is not hidden. God, God is a God who reveals himself to people. He is on a mission to save people and he is pursuing people. And so as followers of Jesus, and I don't know that maybe some of us aren't followers of Jesus here this morning, but most of us are, we, we want to know Jesus. We want to know Him well. And then we want that relationship that we have with God to spill out into the community and we want to make Him known to others we talked about these realities that we have as christians we we said that we're adopted by the father we've been brought into the family of god we have a new relationship with god and with one another we said that we're loyal to the son if you're a christian you have bowed your knee to king jesus and you owe him your ultimate allegiance and we are empowered by the spirit we are given supernatural gifts and supernatural character in order to be the hands and feet of jesus in the world And so last week, we pivoted a little bit. We said, these are the realities that are true about us, but there's also some things that we want to be people that are growing into. As we become more mature in Christ, as the spirit of God works in us, there are things about us that are not quite there yet. And Jesus is working to make us more like him. And we said, the first thing on the other banner is that we are becoming people who live in communion with God. We want to be people who recognize the presence of God in our midst and act accordingly. And I quoted Henry Nouwen last week, and I'll do it again. He says, from the moment we claim the truth of being the beloved, we are faced with the call to become who we are. And the reality is, is that we have communion with God. We are, we talked about the vine and the branches. We are connected to Christ. And yet we often live our lives in a way that doesn't reflect that. We forget that. We ignore that. We we don't hear the voice of God in our lives. And, and we, we believe that God is always moving and speaking and working. And yet we get busy and forget. So today we're going to move on to the sex, second bullet on that banner that we are becoming people who submit to Scripture humbly. Submit to Scripture humbly. This is our second Core value at Revelation Church. So, parents, how many of you can relate to this? You have made a rule for your family, for your children, and it's 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 just a, it's a thing that your family does. It's a it's a standard your family has, and then they take that and then they go out in public, and then they try to shame their friends for not living up to your family rule oh, you know, my mom says we don't read those kind of books. Ever ever get that? Or or like, oh, yeah, that food is bad for you, dad says. (laughs) And and that's super embarrassing because you want to teach your children a certain set of, of standards that, that some, are, some is right and wrong, but some is just preferences. But they don't really recognize that. They're just, they're just given the, the knowledge. They're given the, the standards. And they just think, well, that's the rules. And so now I can go out and I can apply that to everyone I meet. Because, see, knowledge naturally breeds pride. When we have knowledge, what what comes out of us from the earliest age is pride. And so as we take a look at this idea of being submitted to Scripture, what's going to immediately well up in us is pride. And so we have to balance that with this idea of being humble. So as we walk through this text this morning, that's what we're going to do. So 2 Timothy i probably open my Bible too. I'm going to read it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Paul is writing to his student Timothy, who is pastoring a church in a city called Ephesus, and he's giving him instruction about his life and his ministry And he says, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe. The idea of continuing could also be translated remain in. And we can read this text. And the really easy teaching moment that I have is I could just say, you know what, you guys? Read your Bibles. Be people who read your Bibles. And I don't want to diminish that because I think we should be people that read our Bibles, but that's a little bit too easy. It's too easy for both of us. I, it's, it's too easy for me to say, and it's too easy for us to do, because we can just do that and just nail it and become proud. Or we can try to do it and fail and feel guilt and shame. We can see, see this, this idea of reading your Bible as just a, a, an item on the to-do list that you check off in order to make God happy with you. But that's not the way God works, and that's not the way the Bible works. If we're going to continue in what we have learned, if we're going to remain in what we have learned, we're called to live in the word of God, to make our homes there. Jesus says something similar in John 8, 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's a really interesting idea. You will know the truth, and the truth will do something. It will change your life. It will set you free. How's it going to do that? Is it is it like magic? If we read the Bible, then all of the things that, you know, you, you hear the, like, I didn't read my Bible this morning, and I got in a car accident. That's not how that works. See... If we're gonna be people who remain, continue in the things that we've learned, we have to live in the truth to adjust our thoughts, our attitudes, our lifestyle, to be in alignment with the truth. In The Matrix, the, the first one, the only one that matters, um, there's two characters, Neo and Cypher, and they both, they both take the red pill and enter into the world of the matrix and, and experience the truth of reality. But Cypher is one of the villains, and he doesn't like it. He he experiences the truth, but he rejects the truth, and he, he would have rather been put back in the matrix and not remembered anything. Neo, on the other hand, experiences the, is the truth and adjusts his life accordingly. See, if we are people who are committed to, and submitted to scripture, it's not that we should just be reading our Bible acquainted with the reality in there. We should absolutely be doing that. We should study it, listen to it, memorize it, but we also need to make it normative for our lives. At one point in the Matrix movie, at the end, Neo, all he, just, all he sees is computer code, right? Because his life has been so changed by the truth. The Word of God is not just valuable, it's not just worth taking a world literature class on in college, it holds authority over our lives and its intent is to change and shape us. Brian Rosner says, in order to do honor to the authority of Scripture, it's not just about believing something, it's about behaving in accordance with Scripture. And the great challenge is having our minds renewed so we don't conform to the world around us. It's such a challenge for every generation in every context to recognize that the culture around us needs to be critiqued. What he says is, if we're going to be people who are faithful to Scripture, we are. it's always going to put us in a place Of going against the grain of culture at some point or another. And we aren't blank slates approaching the Bible either. We bring things, we bring our own assumptions, our own preconceived notions about life to God. And we should expect that when we remain in the scriptures, that would cause our own values, ethics, and practices to change. Tim Keller says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. So here's an example. This is an experiment for us this morning. I want us to read this out loud together. This is called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, It'll be up on the screen. It's from Matthew chapter six. So um, let's just read it together with me. It says, our father in heaven your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So you're, you're studying your Bible, you read that, Many of you have it memorized, maybe. But in what way does your consideration of this text shape your life? If you read the Lord's Prayer, if you say the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, does it make you the kind of person that has a little bit more of an understanding of God's holiness? Do you walk through your day pondering that aspect of who God is? What does it look like for God's will to be done on earth? If I'm praying for that, how does that affect my own decisions on a daily basis? If I'm saying, God, your will, let it be done on earth the way it's done in heaven. Well, what do I have to do with that? How does that affect my life? I pray, give us today our daily bread, but am I so wrapped up in tomorrow's problems that I don't even see God's provision for me today? Forgive us our debtors, or forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. Am I really actually a forgiving person? Are there things in my life that I just, I will not forgive, I will not let go of? Don't bring us into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. Do we recognize that temptation to sin is a path to bondage by the devil? Do we live with that seriousness that habitual sin leads to darkness? This is an example of just a foundational text of Scripture. The, the, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And this is what he told us to pray. And it can become something that just becomes memorized and wrote. And there are, there are church traditions that are, I think, are rightly critiqued for just making this something that has no more meaning but I've been in the habit this new year of praying the Lord's Prayer every day and really, really trying to focus on like, what does it mean for my life to say these things, to walk in these things? Is, it, is the Word of God just something that, that we have on the page, that we have in our minds, or is it something that we are really experiencing as we live? You know, it's one thing to see it pouring down rain outside and go, I love the rain from the inside of your warm, cozy house. But it's something entirely different to be out in the middle of the street when it's pouring down rain and you're just soaked to the skin by the water. And we're to be people that are soaked with God's word. Paul continues. He says in the back half of verse 14, he says, you know those who taught you. Paul reminds Timothy that he learned the word of God through a community of people. We know that his grandmother and his mother were two of those people. We also know that Paul and other Christians were some of those people. And it's important to recognize that we don't come to scripture. We don't handle scripture. We don't learn from scripture by ourselves. And maybe someone has a story where like, they got saved in a hotel room with a Gideon's Bible and the nightstand. Praise God for that. But even in that situation, there's a whole community of translators that have put that Bible in English. And then there's the Gideons that have this great community of people who love the Bible that distribute Bibles all around the world. See, we all interact with the scriptures in community, and we, we tend to privatize this in the church. We, we have our, our quiet time and our devotionals and we, you know, we get our, our coffee and our journal and we Instagram it because we're weird like that. And the, and we make it this thing that's about just me and Jesus. And I don't want to speak against that. I think that's a valuable habit and a valuable um, rhythm to be in. But that's not how scripture used to be read. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, no one could afford a Bible. The only Bible you had was the one Bible that existed in the church, and, and the community came together to hear it read out loud. And when you had questions, when, when, things, were, things, when things came up, it wasn't, it wasn't I'm going to go Google that. It was, hey, what did he say? Where's where, where he reading at? I don't know. Let's go ask the priest later. I, okay. Okay. Because the the experience of, of Scripture was communal. And this is how Paul expected the church that Timothy led to operate, that the Scriptures would be open before them on a regular basis and they would sit under their authority in community. And see, today we're in a long line of people that are being shaped by the Scriptures in community. There isn't really a legitimate version of the Christian faith that is practiced in isolation in the long term. I mean, there's there are times and seasons where, where, where we suffer from loneliness and community is hard and things don't make a lot of sense. But to be someone who just says, I'm just gonna go off and have a private with, relationship with Jesus by myself, like you're not gonna find that Christian in the New Testament. And if you do that, if you go off to be by yourself and you're going to seriously study the Bible, you're going to quickly find out that the Bible says you're not supposed to be doing that. Why do we read in community? Different people with different stories will read and be affected by the scriptures in different ways. As we are in the scriptures together, we will get different kinds of wet, This doesn't mean that there isn't a true interpretation. The scriptures have a specific meaning that the human authors inspired by the spirit of God intend them to have. But when we submit ourselves to scripture in community, some of us pick up on things that others don't. Someone in our church who I won't name because they didn't give me permission to do that, um, recently sent me an email. I often talk about... um, Laying down our rights and and submitting and, and living in humility and following in the steps of Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but emptied himself and became a servant. and And I, I beat that drum in this church a lot because I think that's kind of the heart of what it means to follow Jesus: is to be a lowly person, a humble person, a servant. And I got this email from this person. They said, "You know." I just want you to be aware that in a lot of situations, that kind of language is used, especially in the lives of women, to keep them in situations that are abusive, to keep them in situations where they believe that they don't have agency, to where they can't speak up for themselves, to where they have to submit to the men in their lives that are treating them unjustly. And, I, and there's two things about that that struck me. The, the first one is that that's, that's absolutely true, isn't it? There, we, we, we know cases of, of, of abuse in the church and the scriptures are used to be instruments of abuse and that's wicked and demonic. But the other thing that struck me is like, I don't ever think that way. Why? Because I'm, I'm not a woman. I've never been in a situation like that all of the the boxes that I check socially put me in a position of natural power in our context. And the very fact that this other person was able to say, hey, you know what? Have you ever thought about it this way? Doesn't change my belief that we're called to be servants just like Jesus is, but it has helped me navigate the terminology I use, and the details I provide and the caveats that I give when I talk about those things. I'm grateful for that. So the idea of a community that reads and interprets the scriptures together is that we all see something a little bit different, not not because the scriptures are different, but because our lives hit a little bit differently. And this can be expanded out from this group of people in this church to the Christian community throughout the world and throughout time. I just got done reading uh, Augustine's Confessions and Augustine was an African Christian in 400 AD, so 1,600 years ago. And his experience of the gospel and the Christian faith is very, very different than mine. And to just read his words shaped me in ways that not interacting with him and the heritage that he um, passed on, would have prevented. Esau Macaulay is an African-American New Testament scholar who writes on the the black church and how they have wrestled with scripture over the years from their unique cultural place. Richard Twist is a Native American Christian pastor who talks about the, the vibrant faith of native peoples. Watchman Nee is a Chinese Christian who speaks similar things about the church in his land. And so to be clear, like, I, I want to say that just because someone has a different perspective on the text does not mean it's the correct perspective. We always need to carefully study and find out what's true. We can be influenced strongly by people who are just wrong, regardless of their social and cultural location. But that too is an argument for interpreting the scripture in a large community. If all you do, well, here's, a, here's oh, Tim Keller says it the best. When you listen to and read one thinker, you become a clone. Two different thinkers, you become confused. Ten thinkers, you begin to develop your own voice. And two to three hundred thinkers, and you become wise. If, if you have your one person, you read all their books and listen to all their podcasts and they're your person, you will become a clone of them. And if they're g- kind and godly and, and modeling a lifestyle that looks like Jesus, then that might be a really good thing. But if they're not, then they're going to lead you astray. But then if you find somebody who holds maybe a different perspective, then there's a tension there and, and it's confusing. Do I believe this person or that person? Well, as you start to broaden your scope, as you interact with your community and interpret the scriptures together, both in this room and through people that influence us from outside, there will be clarity in the voice of the group. So ultimately, what sort of wisdom should we expect from the scriptures? Paul says in verse 15. You have known from infancy, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Here's a truth about the Bible that should not be controversial, but it often is. The Bible does not tell you everything you need to know about life. And maybe that makes some of us uncomfortable because you were taught, you know, the B-I-B-L-E basic instructions before leaving earth right like or or maybe it's a it's a handbook for life i found this ronald reagan quote this week within the covers of the bible are the answers for all the problems men face and that's a very big political idea and i and that's true in a sense if we were all co- more committed to the teaching of scripture we wouldn't be talking about russia invading ukraine right now or needing to boycott the olympics because of the genocide that China is committing against its population. Scripture speaks to these things and a thousand other things in profound ways. Something Galileo remarked, he said, the Bible shows the way to go to heaven, not the way the heavens go. See, that was the particular problem that he was trying to solve, how the planets orbit around the sun. And and while Galileo was a committed Christian, he recognized that the scriptures weren't really about exactly how the planets move around the sun. So as an example, my, my car needs new struts. I'm not going to search the scriptures for answers there directly. I'm going to consult a mechanic. Now, the scriptures can help me. The scriptures can help me decide, do I, do I really have the money for this? Is this something that I can, that I can steward my resources well in or should I wait? The scriptures can help me handle the frustration I have over an unexpected $800 car bill. But the detailed knowledge that somebody needs to replace the struts on my car are not found in this book. The wisdom of the scriptures, Paul says, is centered around you and I being rescued from sin and death and reconnected to the family of God through the sacrificial life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And this is really important. When people start teaching that the scriptures are not about that, that should be a red flag for us. When someone moves the primary message away from the story of God through Jesus, we need to be careful. And this can happen in two different ways. You can have a a, a more fundamentalist posture that says, no, the Bible is about a bunch of rules that you need to follow so that God will be happy with you so that you can go to heaven when you die. That's not the gospel. Or you can go to the other side of more of a, a progressive perspective that says, no, Jesus is just a really nice guy and the sin isn't really a big deal and faith is all just about being good, good to yourself and it's just like, it doesn't really matter. And that's not the gospel either. See, the way scripture works is as we let it soak into our lives in the midst of the global local and historic community of faith, and we dig deeply into its primary message that we, due to our own sin, are broken, lost, condemned people that are rescued by the grace of God in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. That rescue is given to us freely by trusting in him. This is what scripture is doing as we submit ourselves to it. So the second thing, this is what Scripture does. What, what is Scripture? Paul says this in verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture. This is the first word in that sentence. What is all? So there's there's some disagreement about that, right? Historically, the church has recognized at least the 66 books in our Bible as inspired Scripture. Catholic and Eastern Orthodox Christians, they have a few more books It's a long story. We're not going to get into it today. But Paul here, when he says all Scripture, he's talking about at the very least the whole Old Testament, and probably a portion of what would what would become the New Testament that he knew about, including some of his own writings. And it's tempting for us in 2022 to decide that there are parts of the Scriptures that we accept and parts that we just don't. And, and this isn't a new thing. This goes back to a guy named Marcion in the second century. He was a, uh, one of the first uh, Christian heretics. He, he wanted to be a Christian, but then he wanted to change a bunch of stuff. He didn't like the God of the Old Testament, so he took out the entire Old Testament from his Bible. And he didn't really like Jews, so he took out most of the New Testament except for some of Paul's letters and some of Luke, but he took parts of Luke out that he didn't like. And he was like, this is the Word of God. Well, that happens today, doesn't it? There's a movement, um, it's a broad movement, so it's, it's, it's not helpful to be super critical, but there's a broad movement called the Red Letter Christians. And at its best, the call of the Red Letter Christians is to take the words of Jesus seriously. Sometimes, especially in more Protestant churches, we get really excited about Paul and we forget about Jesus. And that's a little backwards. But for others to say, I'm a red letter Christian, that's just a way to dismiss the other, the other authority of the other parts of scripture. Maybe the idea is the God of the Old Testament is mean and angry and violent. Maybe Paul is a jerk and a misogynist. I'm just gonna stick with Jesus. But when you do that, something interesting happens. When you start reading Jesus, listen to what he says in John 5. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. You are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about the Old Testament. And he says the Old Testament, the the 37 books in the first half of the Bible that nobody likes to read because they're weird, are all about Jesus. Jesus. He says later in Luke 24, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, the Old Testament, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. What a great Bible study for Jesus to sit down with you and go from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Malachi and says, this, this is about me, this is about me, this is about me, this is about me. We can't just jettison the parts of the Bible that are hard to understand because we don't like them. What about Paul? I know people who think they can just pick and choose from Paul's writings. Like like he hadn't had his coffee yet when he wrote Galatians, so we'll just ignore that. But Peter, Peter's the one that Jesus said is the rock on which the church was built. He says this in 2 Peter. He says, also, regard the patience of of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these things in all his letters. There are some things hard to understand in them. The untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. Peter recognizes that Paul's letters, even before Paul died, is scripture. On the same level, as the Old Testament and the words of Jesus. So Paul says all scripture is inspired. Inspired is the word theopneustos, means God breathes. And it's a weird word because we think Paul made it up. Uh, We don't have any other record of this word in ancient Greek before Paul and then people who quoted Paul. Paul's taking the word for God and the word for breath and he's smashing them together. And he's talking about the source of scripture, not the effect. We, we don't say that the word of God is inspired. Like it's just really inspiring. When, the, when I read the Bible, I just get all kinds of warm, fuzzy feelings. That's not what he's talking about. He says, God is the ultimate source of scripture. And that doesn't mean that the human authors are robots. Peter again says in Second Peter, above all, you know this, no prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The word carried along there is also used in the book of Acts to talk about the way a ship moves, is moved by the wind and its sails. The helmsman makes decisions about the direction of the ship, but he is ultimately at the mercy of the wind in where he is going. Mike Heiser explains inspiration this way. God was in the process and by a range of providential means, he saw to it that human agents produced a body of work that he endorsed and with which he was satisfied. The thing human writers produced got God's seal of approval since he oversaw their work by providence, not by dictation or seizing the mind's limbs and hands of the writers. The word of God is inspired. It is breathed out by God. And from that, it gets its authority over our lives. But notice Paul doesn't just say the word of God was inspired. He says the word of God is inspired. Hebrews 4 says, for the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Because the scriptures were ultimately breathed out by God, it has the power and the value that it gives it the ability to actually shape and change your life in ways that other books can't. That will happen when you place yourself Under its authority. James warns us in James 1 But be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. This person will be blessed in what he does. Notice in this analogy James is saying the the wise person never leaves the face of the mirror. And that doesn't mean that you need to be in your study reading the word 24 hours a day and not have a job and not have a family and not have a life, but it does mean that as the scriptures enter into your life, you are carrying them around with you wherever they wherever you go and they're affecting you as you live the story of Saint Francis of Assisi He's a Christian who lived um, about a thousand years ago. He was a very rich man He inherited his father's fortune his father was a merchant and uh, he f- was following Jesus and trying to figure out what it meant to live as a Christian in the world and he was running his father's business and he was discipling other people He had this kind of like um, uh, like uh, club the kind of kind of Bible club that he had founded which became the Franciscan Order and he's trying to figure out what it meant to live his life in a way that was in line with the scriptures, and he heard a sermon preached, and it was the, the text was the story of the rich young ruler where the ruler comes to Jesus and says, I have followed all of the commandments all my life. What else do I lack? And Jesus said, sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and follow me. And Francis heard that word, and he said, God is speaking to me right now. And so Francis sold all of his possessions and gave the money to the poor and started his order of monks. And I don't think that that's necessarily everyone's calling, but do we approach the scriptures with the assumption that God is still speaking to us directly? Do we read? Do we come to church and hear the word taught? Do we listen to podcasts and Bible studies and, and, and devotionals thinking God is here right now and he has something to say to me? Is that the in anticipation that we have? And are we prepared to make, um, are we prepared to hear things that will make us uncomfortable? So what is scripture? All of it is breathed out by God. It's the exact library of books that he wants us to have, and the spirit speaks directly through it. It's a treasure that we should cherish. So what does scripture do? All scripture is inspired by God, Paul says, and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. Paul says that scripture is doing four things, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So what is teaching? Teaching is showing us truth that we need to believe. There is something that we do not know that is true, and the Bible teaches us what that is. Rebuking, that's, that's when we walk in error. We believe falsehood, and the Bible speaks the truth and says, you need to stop believing this correcting is, is when we have an attitude or an action that we need to stop doing. You're living your life this way. Knock it off. Scripture does that. And then training in righteousness is what is the practice or the mindset that in order to be a maturing follower of Jesus, I need to adopt and follow. So these are four great questions to help us when we're reading and studying scripture. What is it teaching me? What, how is it rebuking me? How is it correcting me? And how is it training me? So, we're going to do a little community theology. I'm going to throw some verses up on the screen. I'm going to ask those questions. So, Ephesians 2 8 through 10 says, For you are saved by grace through faith. You might want to turn here if you've got your Bibles with you. This is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So, looking at that text, just three little verses. Oh, they all fit on the screen. Good job. <laughs> what is true about this passage? We're saved by grace. We're saved by grace. Amen. What else is true? We're created in Christ. Yeah, good. What are some errors that we might be believing as just people living in a broken world that need correct or need rebuked? It's not not from our works. Guys, you can't earn your salvation. I want to. I think I can. I'm a good guy. I'm going to try hard. No, no. Stop thinking that way. It's wrong. What's some correction? What's an attitude or action that I need to stop doing that we could discern here? Trading our salvation like a checklist? That's good. What else? Arrogance. Yeah. Are we boastful people? How does this passage train us in righteousness? What are the actions and practices that we might need to adopt? Humility. Yeah. The idea that our lives would produce good works. I think that's a really big one. Like, I'm supposed to be producing good works, apparently. I should figure that out, right? This is the kind of thing that scripture does, usually little by little, as we immerse ourselves in it and apply it to the specific circumstances that we live in. We need to be be becoming people whose beliefs and actions are constantly being refined and shaped and changed to look more like Jesus because of our engagement with and submission to the scriptures. But remember what I said about Pride. As we learn the Bible, as we study the Bible, as we grow in the Bible, we get knowledge, and knowledge makes us proud. But it shouldn't be that way. Becoming knowledgeable in the Scriptures and people saturated in them should make us humble. James says Again, therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. If we really understand who we were and how we have been saved by the gospel of Jesus, we should be humble people. But we have to fight against the tendency to let pride spring up in our hearts to receive the word with humility is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. The word translated humbly in James 1 is translated gentleness in Galatians. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's something that God produces in us. Naturally, we are going to be proud people. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all have knowledge Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. See, the Corinthian church had been taught by Paul that idols were fake gods, that they weren't real, that the one true God was the king of the universe and Jesus, his son, was the greatest authority, and that the the Aphrodite worship and the Zeus worship and the Pan worship and all the stuff that's going on in Corinth, that's all fake spirituality, But what they did was they took that knowledge and instead of walking in humility around people who weren't quite there yet, they got proud and they got judgmental. And so what Paul does in Corinthians is he he teaches them more. He gives them more knowledge about idols, but he warns them that they need to be walking in love, which is another supernatural gift of the Spirit. And so this is so important for us to grasp if we are going to be people that are grounded in the scriptures, and it is foundational to the kind of Bible ministry that will mark this church, we don't have all the answers. Yes, there is truth. Yes, there is error. There are significant guardrails on our faith. This is why the Apostles' Creed is on our website. The church worldwide has agreed about these things for 2,000 years, but there are so many areas that we have to grow in. And if we aren't loving one another in the midst of our differences, we will honestly misrepresent the heart of God. Here's just a few areas where this happens. Baptism, do we baptize infants? Do we baptize adults? Church government, should there be one singular leader that runs the church? Should there be a group of elders? Should the congregation vote on every decision? Calvinism and Arminianism, how does that even work? Spiritual gifts, do they, are they all for today? Did some of them die out with the apostles? How should they operate in the church? The age of the earth, how do you interpret Genesis? How does, how does modern science interact with scripture or, or does it not at all? The return of Christ, what's that gonna look like? How's that gonna play out? All of these issues have been disagreements that Christians have been having inside the walls of the church forever. But when we hold to these things in pride, it just makes us look foolish. Some of these things we we have to take a position on as we function as a church. Baptism, like we can either baptize infants or not. We're a, we're a baptistic church. We baptize regenerate believers. We, we believe that that's what scripture teaches. Church government, we have a body of a plurality of elders that lead the church. I think that's what the New Testament teaches. Presbyterians and congregationalists will disagree with me. The spiritual gifts, do we, do we use them or do we not use them? Like that's a decision we have to make. We, we've said in this church that we believe that all the gifts of the spirit are for today and we have all been given gifts to minister to one another in the body and glorify Jesus. And so that's the decision we've made. Other things are more cerebral. Calvinism and Arminianism. Like if there, there are ways to, to debate how salvation actually works without actually changing your practice. I think it's worthwhile to talk about how to interpret Genesis and the age of the earth and science and all of those things, but, but that doesn't necessarily impact the community of believers today. Same thing with the return of Christ. Jesus is coming soon. You can all agree with that, but how, how's that actually going to look? What are going to be the details of that? Well, we can sit down with our Bibles open and discuss different perspectives, but is that something that should be dividing us? I don't think so. No matter what, as, as we learn and we grow in our knowledge in love, we need to be people who listen to Christians who think differently than us and really try to hear what they are saying. James again in chapter three says, who among you is wise and understanding by his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in gentleness that comes from wisdom. What does wisdom produce? It produces gentleness. We need to be people who are submitted to the scriptures. Scriptures are our primary authority. But if we are people that Really know the Bible, people will see it in the way that we love. We will be known not just as Bible people, but as humble people. Let's do some Q and R. Okay. let's see what this says for most of us there are things that are hard or even painful to consolidate in our understanding of god at least according to the context of our lives what is a good place to start in wrestling with this disparity yeah like this is one of those questions where i would rather it be like one-on-one in a coffee shop so i can ask follow-up questions uh, but I'll do my best. So for some of us, the scriptures have been used as an abusive weapon on us at different points in our lives. And so there's, there's nothing wrong with the scriptures other than, uh, for lack of a better word, they are triggering in certain Situations. And I know a lot of people, and I've heard a lot of stories, who even have a hard time coming into a church because of the trauma that they have experienced at the hands of people that supposedly loved them. And so I think if that's the situation we're talking about, it's important to, at some point, and this is a slow process, and this takes the help of the community to differentiate between the trauma that's been suffered, the abuse that's been suffered, the hurt that we have felt, and the actual scriptures themselves. Did God's word do those things to you? Is God's word to blame for those things? I would say if God is who God says he is and he inspired the word of God, then it's not the scriptures that are ultimately to blame for that kind of pain, but it's people who have misused the scriptures. And I think coming to a place to where you can see those two things as separate, and that's not always an easy thing, and that might take a lot of, of work, but being able to see those things as separate is kind of the road to healing there. Now, in another angle, maybe, would be that there's just some things in the Bible that are that really great against kind of our cultural understanding. Especially when we talk about the Old Testament, there's, there's, there's violence in the Old Testament that we're uncomfortable with. There's uh, a patriarchal, a patriarchal culture that we're uncomfortable with. There's polygamy and um, other abuse towards women. And we, we read things sometimes and we just go like, that just doesn't sound right. And I think the most important thing we can do there is recognize that we are still learning and growing. And if there are places in God's word that seem off to us, that's an opportunity for us to dive further into study. Um, Because there are really hard things in the Bible. Um, Some of those things feel hard because we've misunderstood them. Some of them feel hard because we just live in a completely different culture and and we just don't have any frame of reference for what people would be going through 3,000 years ago. But when we get to places uh, in, in the Word of God where we go like, wow, that just doesn't sound like Jesus to me. Well, then we have to go back to Jesus saying, all of it's about me. And so, if we trust in Jesus, that all of it is about Him, that that should prompt us to go like, "Okay, Jesus, I don't get this. Help me understand this, and to dig deeper into what's going on to help you figure out how to um, square that with your understanding." And 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 honestly, some things, as I've studied, some things in the bible have been misunderstandings of mine that like oh i didn't realize it was that way and now i understand better and other things are just like i don't know i just got to i just got to set that down and trust that god is god and he has it figured out and i don't and i'm just going to live in the tension of not knowing the answer right now um Okay, that's the only one. So we're going to uh, take communion. Um, as we take communion this morning, I just invite you to come up as the band plays and, and the bread and the cup is here. And take it to your seat. Uh, spend some time with the Lord reflecting on, on what He's spoken to you today. The prayer rugs up front are available if you want to come down and kneel and pray. Uh, so sometimes it's helpful to. Uh, rearrange the position of our bodies to engage with the Lord differently. But as we do that, I just want to make note that the communion meal contains bread. Bread is an important symbol throughout the scriptures. Uh, The scripture itself is even connected to bread. Jesus says, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Other figures throughout Scripture are commanded in visionary experiences to take books and eat them. So as we come to the table and take the bread and the cup, one of the things we're reminded of is that through our regular communion with Christ, we are meant to be changed. The bread and the cup nourish our bodies and change us. Likewise, through a steady diet of the Scriptures, we are meant to be changed. And I would just ask the question, is that true for you? Are you personally someone that is eating the Word of God with regularity? Are you spending time there? And, and there's a lot of ways to do that. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of legalism that's placed on Bible reading, and I wanna make us free from that. But however it makes sense for you, whether it's listening to audio or reading the Bible or using a devotion or there's a thousand different ways. Are you eating the Word of God with regularity? Let the Spirit speak to you in these moments about this and and answer that question for yourself. Are you becoming a person who is submitted to the Scriptures humbly?